a smart but angry young student who dreamed of becoming a pediatrician, a chemistry major, a target hourly employee, and a substitute teacher. This was Veronica Wiley's circuitous path to our high school classroom in Hazelhurst, Mississippi. Along the way, she's earned three master's degrees, founded a nonprofit, interned with NASA, and is currently collaborating with Harvard to create anti-racist science curricula. The motivation behind all of this activity is providing her students opportunities, even if they are 60 feet underwater. Welcome to Fund for Teachers, the podcast. I'm Carrie Caton, and the goal of each episode is to elevate teachers as the inspiring architects of their careers, classrooms, and school communities. Today, we visit with Veronica Wiley, high school chemistry and physical science teacher at Hazelhurst High School. She designed her Fund for Teachers Fellowship to earn a diving certification and then complete archaeology and marine life trainings with the organization Diving with a Purpose. It's a nonprofit that partners with the National Association of Black Scuba Divers on submerged heritage preservation and conservation projects worldwide with a focus on the African diaspora. She is also a PhD candidate in educational leadership and administration at Jackson State University in Jackson, Mississippi. Her latest of three graduate degrees is a Master of Arts in Teaching Chemistry at Illinois State University. This summer, she interned with NASA's Office of STEM Engagement in Houston and also started as a fellow at Harvard's Anti-Racist Science Education Project through its Department of Molecular and Cellular Biology. One of my first questions to her was, when do you have time to teach? To which she replied, I teach whenever I can, wherever I can, about whatever is relevant. Then I asked her about her work, her students, and her fellowship. I love starting these conversations with our fellows just by asking what made you want to be a teacher? How'd you get into the profession? So in short, uh, teaching for me actually was an accident. I had zero intentions of being a teacher, and I was the kid in class who swore that I would never teach. I actually wanted to be a pediatrician, and that was my lifelong dream until my junior, senior year-ish of college. After I graduated, I worked at a uh, I worked at the Amgen um, site in California, yep. in Thousand Oaks. Um, worked for a smaller company called Chemical Maze, and I loved it. Except the conditions weren't the most safe, and so I ended up quitting. I went back to Denver, and I worked at Target as a regular associate. And I was running into like all my high school teachers, principals, basketball coaches, and they were like, "What are you doing? Like, who gets a degree in chemistry and then works at Target?" They talked me actually into coming to a sub at the school. Because again, I was like, nope, if those kids act half as bad as I did, and I was one of the good kids, right, one of the smart ones, if they're half as bad as I was, God's going to pay me back for everything I ever did to my teachers. So uh, I decided to go and I applied. They had a position as a para. So basically, I was like an in-house tutor. And eventually, they hired me on as a sub. And so I stuck it out for the rest of the school year. I did not get the open chemistry teaching position that year, but ended up working at a neighboring school and fell in love with it. Really? Yeah. So totally an accident. <laughs> this, is, this is about the 30th podcast I think we've done. And the majority of the teachers answer the question the same way. And a lot of the teachers, especially those who are children of teachers said, I swore I would never be a teacher. And now mm-hmm. it's become their passion. So that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm awfully glad you are because you are clearly a world changer. During some of the uh, research prior to this conversation, I Googled your name. And then the first thing that came up is that she's currently an intern in NASA's Office of STEM Engagement while completing her PhD and a master's of teaching in chemistry. Hmm. Yeah, I stay a little busy. 
Then I Googled it some more and found something about you being a fellow with the anti-racist science education project at Lab Change, a project of Harvard University's Department of Molecular and Cellular Biology. <laughs> yes. Huh? Yeah. Started this summer. Then there's something about you writing a book that's published. One can get at Barnes and Noble. Correct. Yes. Yes, you can. Uh-huh. I, I guess my second question is, when do you teach? You know what? I teach is whenever I can, wherever I can about whatever is relevant. So with the Harvard Lab Exchange Fellowship Project, it is about 10 hours a week, but essentially um, they have us broken into like pods or pathways. The idea is to develop curriculum um, that is geared toward anti-racism in general, right? Especially in sciences. Even as an African-American female teacher, there are so many things that I say to my Black students or to my female students, right, that are microaggressions and things of that nature. There are a group of, I think, about 30 different either postdocs or doctoral students who are sort of like the brains behind the operation. So they've assigned each of us topics. It's our job to sort of do the research, to get the information together so that the creative team can then go in and turn those into videos, learning modules, and different things like that. Let me ask you about that, because you said in your proposal that your long-term goal is to begin to create culturally specific or culturally relevant academic resources and tools. So you're jumping into meeting that goal now. Can can you give me an example of what that looks like? As a science teacher, um, and this has been my frustration for a while. So I taught Earth and Space Science in Denver for two years, um, moved here, taught eighth grade, taught fifth grade. Now I'm back at the high school level, which is great, except... When I go to find fictional and or non-fictional texts um, related to whatever my topic is, none of the people look like me. None of the people look like my students. The folks in the books who made the discoveries, some of them are the people who've actually made the discoveries, but some of them are people who took credit for you know, the discoveries that were actually made, whether those were by women or by people of color. And so in me saying, I want to write that curriculum, I want to develop curriculum. The content should all be the same because science is science is science, but it should be written and or packaged in such a way that it is appealing, that it is honest, and that for the first time, people who look like me are not like the tokens in the story, but the actual characters, the, the, the people who drive the story, if that makes sense. Yeah. Whether that is actual nonfictional texts or picture books or whatever, which I'm working on one right now, or that's instructional materials where the people on the posters look like them. So when we think of racism, we're thinking of like big picture, you know, like clan marching sort of things, not realizing oftentimes the words that we speak, the ways that we handle our young people what we assume is giftedness versus what we assume needs to go into special education comments that we make my AP chemistry teacher in front of the entire class and I was the only black person hand me my practice AP exam he tossed it across the table and said to me wow you got a three I thought you would have gotten a dash and I'm sure he meant it as just a joke but I had worked my butt off for that three that it killed me all year long so for him to make that sort of comment in front of everyone and to really not understand why that was an issue for me it completely blew my mind and motivated you to do what you're doing today thank you and actually he was the reason so when I got my degree and I went back to him and I said to him you know Mr. Lehman not only did I get my degree in chemistry but I make more money than you do and he was livid I didn't know what I wanted to major in and I thought you know what why don't I show him that I'm not stupid? Wow. And that drove what you majored in and now what your career is. Mm-hmm. Well, you said also in your proposal that you believe education is the impetus for change, advocacy, and growth. I do. 
For me in my classroom, successful education looks like my students making connections. It looks like the material becoming real to them. It looks like them having not just aha moments, but that's, that's all it was kind of moments. We have extremely intelligent students, extremely intelligent, but they're not exposed to various opportunities. They don't have the resources. And there's very much here a sort of attitude of, oh, my child will just play a sport. They'll be okay. And so when I came in, one of the conversations that I had with my principal and with the assistant principal was, what are you going to do to provide meaningful extracurricular activities for the students who don't fit into the sport? You know, what do you do? So we started a robotics team and that's great. I have a small one that we do in the community with my nonprofits and that's wonderful. But now what else? Because some of the kids don't want to do robotics. We have a good number of students who participate in the community and participate in the school. We now have one at the elementary school, right? So we're, we're growing, um, but what else do you have? And so we put on Astro Camp this summer and I had some of my high school students come volunteer to help me um, you know, put on a, an Astro Camp for the young community people. So we're, we're making some progress, but I, just, I guess I just need parents to see that this is a tangible reality um, because there's even a sort of like, I'm glad you're doing this, but you're smart. And so the rest of us, yada, yada, yada. And I really just need people to understand how smart their children are because the, the, the kids at my school are no less intelligent than the kids at, you know, um, at the wealthy schools and whatever the other towns are. We just don't have the same resources. You glossed over something that I think I heard you correctly say, my nonprofit STEM South. <laughs> yes, yes. That did not come up in my Google researching of you. So what is your nonprofit STEM South? So my, my nonprofit STEM South is essentially this. I provide STEM programming to young people in the community. And a STEM does not obviously stand for, well, it does, but stand for science, technology, engineering, and math. Uh, what it stands for is success, tenacity, excellence, and merit. And the idea is to build those four human things using science, technology, engineering, and math. I started the paperwork quite some time ago, um, but didn't actually dive in until about six months before COVID hit, but started doing things like I teamed up with NASA and have since put on NASA Astro Camps. I've been doing those sorts of trainings. I've taken the kids to different lectures that are offered at community colleges and so on and so forth. Um, I offer tutoring to the kids whenever I can, ACT tutoring, um, math and science tutoring, obviously. And then we started a, a small uh, robotics team. So in my first year, I took, we started off with like eight students. They built their robot from scratch. They programmed it. It was a struggle too. These are, this was my high school team, did everything. And we went and we competed in Jackson. Um, and we went from being like ranked like 49 out of 50 to ranked number 10. And so it was a big, yeah, it was a big shift. Um, we had a team of fourth through sixth graders who built their own robot using uh, like Legos and some Lego technology. And they went to competition as well and competed in Jackson. And we didn't win the competition. I think we ended up being like 15 out of 30, but it was fine. It was our first competition, um, but they did so well that the judges felt like we have to give them something, even if they didn't like win-win. And they went and had a trophy made for my babies. I have the trophy, blew me away. The kids and their parents, it was, they posted it all on Facebook and everything. And they were like, look what our babies got. And they had the little trophy. Um, they got little pins and everything. Um, so we've now expanded. So there's 
but there's now a team directly at the elementary school here. I'll be helping them set everything up. I still have my team. Part of the reason that I don't want to let go of the team that I've started with my nonprofit is that, you know, I teach in a particular city, um, but I have students who come down from a few neighboring cities and we all work together. So we meet at my house or at the library or somewhere else. Their parents come and I have some parents, several parents, honestly, who were like, I didn't think my child would like this, but they love it. I had one parent who by the end of our, our first little competition season, honey, she was on the floor helping the kids make the measurements. They were like, mom, put this here. It blew my mind because that was not her. And she actually found it entertaining. She was like, my daughter is a nerd like you and I'm starting to like it. And I just, <laughs> it made me so happy. And so several of them, you know, mentioned things like, you know, my, like my child doesn't really fit in at school, but they love it when they come here. Um, and so, you know, it's been, for me, it's been big seeing those small successes and seeing um, some of them who are normally very quiet, don't speak much, go to the competitions and just let loose with other kids who are just like them. Hearing them say things like, I didn't know girls did this kind of thing, or you see how many black people were in there? Like it blew my mind watching them have that reaction. So I say all that to say that is what STEM South does. I do have some ideas for how we can grow, but you know, that's a funding issue too. So we've got a good number of donations um, or self-funded and the parents contribute whatever I can't come up with. I mean, they're bringing hot dogs and drinks and whatever. They're like, we're going to make this happen. It's been a great experience so far. I'm hoping to continue bringing in, you know, more young people and doing whatever I can. Because those are things that I had access to when I was growing up. We didn't have robotics, but I had access to certain things. And I want these young people to have that same access. Veronica designed a Fund for Teachers Fellowship to obtain her SCUBA certification and conduct marine biology and archaeology research with Diving with a Purpose, a nonprofit organization dedicated to the protection, documentation, and interpretation of African slave trade shipwrecks and the maritime history and culture of African Americans who formed a core of labor and expertise for America's maritime enterprises. Veronica's first steps in that journey are taking place this summer, getting certified and starting her requisite open water dives. This will prepare her to train her AP environmental science students for their own research with youth diving with a purpose in Florida's Biscayne National Park. You said that this fellowship that we'll talk about in a second that you designed is your attempt to adequately prepare yourself to have your students experience science rather than memorize it. Another way that you described your fellowship was that you want to confront your students with discrepant events that challenge them to help them make better sense of their knowledge and guide them into a more accurate understanding of scientific concepts and processes. I pride myself on my lexicon and I had to look up discrepant. <laughs> For those who might not know what discrepant is, who are listening, differing, disagreeing, or inconsistent discrepant accounts. What discrepant events are you trying to address with your students? You mentioned the MAT and chemistry teaching earlier. <clears throat> that was one of the terms that I learned that semester. I was so excited. Blew my mind at the idea that you set a situation up so that you know the answer is going to be different than all your students perceive it to be. Now they have to make sense of what all they know. Everybody thinks that cold water freezes faster than hot water does. And if you ask 99% of people, they'll say cold water, absolutely. And then they do the experiment, hot water freezes faster. And now they're like, wait, what? And so now they'll spend weeks trying to figure out, did they mess the experiment up? Did it really freeze faster? Why did it freeze faster? What about the particles? And there are now all these questions that they want to answer. Um, and I want them to start thinking of things that way. So when you asked about anti-racism earlier, one of the, the misnomers or the poor stereotypes that we have of people of color is that we don't swim, right? That we don't get in the water. Completely an untruth. But if they don't see me do it, changing their sort of narrative, then they'll never engage it. 
Your fellowship, so many facets of it, Veronica, are unique, but I'll start with the most obvious one from an administrative perspective. Your fellowship will last 10 months as opposed to a few days or a few weeks during the summer. And this is very atypical for us, but if you will describe what you will be doing, it will become clear to those listening why it was funded. Perfect. So this year uh, at our school here, we're revamping our curriculum and I have been gifted with the chance to teach an AP environmental science class. I'm so excited. So what I thought about, uh, what I wanted to do, there is an organization called Youth Diving with a Purpose. They take young people out, they teach them to dive, give them the certification, and then they take them out into an area near Florida where the students are able to go under and to do some observations and take marine biology classes, essentially. So they're able to see the coral reef, to make measurements with actual marine biologists and folks who do this for a living. So what I wanted to do was take the summer and some time during the fall to get my own scuba certification so that I could dive with my students. So that's the gist. Um, I then want to use not just what I learned with my students, but what I'm learning in those marine biology classes to start putting together a curriculum um, and to write some actual lessons based on, you know, things we'll experience when they scuba dive. So is the end goal for you to take students with you back to participate in youth diving with a purpose? Yes, that is the end goal. Part of the reason too that that time was extended. So in order for me to dive with them and diving with a purpose and or youth diving with a purpose as an adult, I have to log a certain number of educational dives or a certain number of dives. I'm up to six dives now, so I'm moving in the right direction, but I have to log X number of dives before I can go underwater um, with them. And I feel like parents would trust me a whole lot more to take their children diving if I'm actually gonna be in the water. What's it like? I, were you comfortable in the water to begin with? I love the water. The water is a happy place for me. So I wasn't nervous about getting in the actual water. So in order for you to get your certification, you have to undergo a certain number of days of like training in a pool where you're scuba diving in the pool sort of so that you can master specific skills. Um, skills like pull your mask off and then put it back on and blow all the water out of your mask. Or what happens if you lose your, your regulator, your mouthpiece, right? How do I get that back on? So you have to sort of master those skills before you can move on to the actual ocean or what have you. So I spent uh, three days in Marietta, Georgia doing my training in an actual pool. So that's where I was able to get comfortable with the all the gear. Swimming was not the problem for me. Honestly, the most terrifying part and probably the hardest part is remembering that you can breathe and that you can only breathe from your mouth. The second hardest thing is learning to control what's called your buoyancy or like your ability to float. Um, so you have to put in a weights that are kind of comparable to whatever your, your physical weight is. So you had to put in a certain number of weights to keep you under and then use the air from your tank to either you know inflate your, your vest um, or deflate so that you could balance properly. And that was hard. And then of course, the two people who trained me, their husband and wife, um, but they were, one's a doctor, one's a nurse, they were phenomenal um, and were really patient with me. And once they understood what I wanted to do with my students, they gave me a whole lot more information and a crap load of resources and people to talk to um, and even connected me with the man from Youth Diving with a Purpose. What do your students think about all this? They think I'm a nerd, but they think it's kind of cool. They're all kind of like, you know, I think it's cool that she's a nerd, but oh my goodness, that lady's weird. But tell us about your stuff again. I'm, I'm quirky. I'm the excited teacher. I'm hype. I'm jumping around and, and they just, it tickles them. It's my hope as a teacher that I can A, be for my students what I needed when I was in school 
and B, that when my students leave my room, whether or not they love science is not the point. They don't have such a hate-hate relationship with science and that they walk away knowing that they can and they have the skills to. They don't have to like it, doesn't have to be their thing, but they most certainly will be prepared for whatever they decide to do later on. I know what I needed coming up. I know what I wasn't getting at home, at school, whatever. And my mom tried desperately. She she raised my brother and I on her own. My brother eventually became a lawyer. And she raised us with next to no money. But there was always the understanding that there was more in life. And so just kind of trying to push to my teachers that work with me here and to my students that like, you know, this isn't your last stop. So who I was then doesn't define who I am later. And I don't have to fit in the box. So I'm constantly redefining myself, constantly trying to find something new that's going to fit into my passion. I figure as long as it's not hurting anyone or going against, you know, my, my religious beliefs, then that gummit, I'm going to try it out. It's taken me a while to get here. And I'm hoping that as my students see that, that they become a little more fear, uh, fearless that they're willing to go against the grain and be who they are. Because I think that that is when you do something meaningful is when you're less afraid of, of what people say and more afraid of the feeling that you get when you don't try something that you know you want to try. Like diving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this will be a, a kind of a, a two-part question, but how did you find out about Fun for Teachers? Because we don't have a lot of Mississippi fellows. So I'm curious about that. And then how did you find out about diving with a purpose I heard about the diving part first. There is an organization called the National Association of Black Scuba Divers. I thought that sounds pretty cool. And then I heard about this guy who now works for like NBC News or something, but he went and he uh, did some diving on slave ships. And I Googled because I wanted to find out how do you do that? Like my minor was in African-American studies and I'm like, oh, that's totally me. How do I get on the slave ship dive? Well, that's when I found out about diving with a purpose. There's a whole documentary and Samuel L. Jackson um, interviewed the, the guy who started Like it, it's a big deal. So I read a little bit more, found out that I had to get a certain number of dives. And then I found out about youth diving with a purpose all while again, Googling. So I thought, well, that would be cool. I wonder if I can get my certification. And initially I was going to do it, but couldn't afford to. And this last school year, because this is why COVID was my friend too, gave me some time to figure some things out. I was sitting at home one night and I thought, I bet you there's a grant out here for that. And I just started Googling teacher grants for diving, teacher grants for this, teacher grants for that. And this popped up, fun for teachers. And actually, if I can be honest, don't laugh at me. I didn't think it was a real thing. I was like, this is some site where they're trying to get my personal information. So, so it took me a while to, you know, trust it enough to go for it. Yeah, we hear that a lot because teachers say it's too good to be true. And so there is this type of like, what's mm -hmm. the catch kind of thing mm -hmm. but 20 years later and $30 million later to 9,000 teachers. It's, um, it's really an amazing investment. I have directed at least 15 teachers. You guys got to go check this website out. You have ideas, go look here. You have ideas, go look there. Because I just, like, when I, I'm telling you, it, the whole process has blown my mind. And it was an easy process too. It, it is. I mean, we give, we give teachers the rubric by which their proposals will be judged. And we just want to empower teachers to pursue what they feel like they need to pursue it's kind of the trickle down model, right? Like we invest in the teacher and in what they think will be impactful. And then those teachers impact all of those students. Oh, yes. Teachers can't afford to do anything. And we always want teachers to go to professional development and to get better. But most of us, we're, we're barely paying the bills. So if, um, 
if you want us to foster in young people a sense of a sense of creativity and a sense of exploration, someone has to give us the opportunity to do the same because we can only teach them what we know. Um, so I say all that to say, if Fun for Teachers were not here, there's no way in the world that I'd be able to afford to do what I just did this summer so that I could take my students later on. It just, it wouldn't even be an option. And I think a lot of us have dreams as teachers that we're never able to, to tap into. And it's because there's just, the well's always dry. We're still buying pencils and things like that for the classrooms um, and not just pencils, but everything. But anyway, I say all that, you know, that that's my, my very long way of saying, if, if, if funding is your way to contribute please do that because if you don't contribute to our growth, we're not as effective as we could be in terms of contributing to our young people's growth. Well, don't get me wrong. I love Target. I can, <laughs> I can get lost in Target in their days when my children were young, that that was my safe place. But I am so glad that your heart called you to education, Veronica, and what you are doing in so many different environments are making safe places for students and the fact that you're going to make an underwater environment safe for your students is just so inspiring. And I just am so grateful for your time and that, and that you went into teaching. Thank you. That means more than you know. It does. We look forward to using this podcast to elevate more teachers as the inspiring architects of their careers, classrooms, and school communities. But you can learn from 9,000 Fund for Teachers fellows now by visiting fundforteachers.org slash blog. Or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you want to reach an engaged audience of educators, share your event or product in this podcast by becoming a sponsor. Connect with listeners as they tune in to be inspired by the groundbreaking work our fellows are accomplishing individually and in the classroom. Contact info at fundforteachers.org for more information. And finally, thank you Fun for Teachers fellow Veronica Wiley for talking to us today about her work and her fellowship. You can learn more about the organization Diving with a Purpose at its website, divingwithapurpose.org. I'm Carrie Caton. Thank you for joining us today at Fund for Teachers, the podcast. Until next time, keep learning.